It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. We cordially welcome you to <clears throat> episode two of Rico Bronia. All things Mets, of course, honoring one of the great Mets of all time, Rico Bronia. The Mets got their asses kicked in the last two games against the San Diego Padres. They lost two out of three. The enthusiasm that we all had after the greatest split in the history of the New York Mets was dampened, and it was dampened by a shutout in game two that featured what felt to be significant injuries. More on that as the podcast rolls on. And then just an embarrassing game three in which Chris Bassett continues to pitch terribly. So the Mets lose game two and three. They get outscored 20 to two over the course of those two games. And we sit here now looking at this road trip, the West Coast gauntlet with a record of three and four. It's not end of the world stuff. Uh, it's annoying that the Atlanta Braves are red hot, that the Philadelphia Phillies are red hot. I think the, the biggest concern that came out of this series, and we'll start here because to me it's the headline, is the health status of Pete Alonso and Starling Marte. Uh, obviously missing either one of those guys for a few weeks or dare I say longer would be a tremendous blow to the strength of this team because let's face it, the strength of the New York Mets, the reason why they're 38 and 21 is because they're scoring five runs a game. <laughs> that's, that's the reason I know coming into the year, we all thought it would be starting pitching and, and maybe once they're healthy, that will be their strength again. But right now, the reason why the Mets have survived with Max Scherzer out, the reason why they've, you know, led the National League East most of the season has mostly been on the fact that they're scoring five runs a game. Missing Pete Alonso, missing Starling Marte for a significant period of time would be a major blow to that. Uh, that was what made game two of this series as awful as it was. It wasn't merely Taiwan Walker being average. It wasn't just that Hugh Darvish was dominating and the offense couldn't figure anything out. There's a the fact that we spent three hours of the middle game of this series worried about Pete 
and worried about Starling. And it feels like it's not ultra serious with Pete starting with him because there is no break of the hand. Even when the x-rays came back, you kind of wait and say, all right, well, what's an MRI going to say? Sometimes that first imaging isn't going to tell you the whole story. Does it turn into a James McCann kind of injury where he broke his hammock bone? I don't even know if that's a real bone, but we're recording this at 1 o'clock in the morning, so I'm just going to make up terms the way Gorilla Monsoon used to do in the WWE. He would literally just make up terms and say, yeah, that's his trapeze muscle, and it's sore. So I think it's a hammock muscle. I don't know. Bottom line is it looks like Pete should be back relatively soon, and the Mets could be cautious about this. And that doesn't mean necessarily put him on the injured list, but it does mean give it a couple of days, let J.D. Davis play first base, maybe even Marcana at first base, and wait for Pete to come back and be 100%. If you remember last year, he got hit by a pitch against the St. Louis Cardinals in May and then went through a batting slump for about three, four weeks. So you appreciate a guy that wants to play through injury, but you have to be smart about it. So it looks like it's good with Alonzo. The Marte thing is actually more concerning because – You never know if you come back too soon, if you can pull a muscle or it can become worse, like a quad issue can become a serious thing. And the fact that Starling Marte said this is not an injury he's ever faced before also makes me nervous because it's not as if, ah, don't worry, I'm used to it. I've had this before. But again, I think the Mets have to take a conservative approach, which is not that you're punting games by any stretch of the imagination because the Braves are playing well, the Phillies are playing well, and all of a sudden a lead that was once 10 and a half games could very well get down to five before you know it. But you need to be smart. You can't let a Starling Marte injury become worse. He thought it was a cramp. You don't want to turn it into something far worse if you rush him back Saturday or Sunday. So I think the big takeaway from what happened with Starling Marte and Pete Alonso in game two of this series is that our biggest fear in this moment did not happen. Now it's about the Mets being conservative and smart in bringing these guys back slowly. And the other thing is, It's about guys stepping up. You know, part of why the Mets have succeeded this year, despite the fact that Jacob DeGrom hasn't thrown a pitch, the fact that Max Scherzer's now missed a handful of starts, is you've had guys step up. So to me, the guy I circle and say, here's the guy that has to perform, especially with Pete out of the lineup, is Lindor. I mean, Lindor had that incredible streak of driving in a run every single day. He's been a pseudo-MVP candidate, even though we all know Pete's the MVP of the team. But you're going to need Francisco Lindor to step up while he's out. I'll tell you what I noticed. This lineup without Pete Alonso has just no pop. I mean, it's it just really lacks muscle. It lacks scaring any other team, scaring any other pitcher. I mean, you look at the lineup from game three of this series, and you've got J.D. Davis cleaning up. You know, you've got Eduardo Escobar batting fifth. And I think we all knew if there was a thing to critique about this lineup, even with a lineup that's scoring five runs a game, is probably adding a little bit more pop to it. Well, when you take out the one guy, and really the two guys that supply the pop, the lineup looks, you know, popless, as some may say. So, look, the headline is the injuries, are the injuries. The good news is it doesn't seem to be that bad, even though Buck Showalter the other night when asked, hey, could this be a few days? And his response was, I don't share the same optimism. It looks like it may only be a couple of days. So that's the good news with Alonzo and with Marte. Now let's get to this series. Let's get to game one of this series because game one was actually fun. Game one was a continuation 
of what they did against the L.A. Dodgers. You know, they scored three runs in the first inning. Eduardo Escobar starts to break out. We didn't know in the first inning when he had that two-run single that it would lead to batting for the cycle. I mean, I don't think any of us saw that coming. But a great first inning to give an early lead to to, uh, Carlos Carrasco, who's been really good this year. I think he's been better than what his numbers say because he's had those one or two really bad starts that kind of brings up his ERA. But overall, Carlos Carrasco has been money, especially after how lousy he was a year ago. But what you loved about game one is they take the early 3-0 lead. And okay, Carlos Carrasco gives up an RBI single to Jurickson Profar, who turned out to have like the series of his life. I mean, Jurickson Profar has entered the territory of pain-in-the-ass Met killers, at least from this three-game series. But okay, Jurickson Profar, RBI single, 3-1 to game. And this was the calling card of the Mets until the last two days. You score a run, okay, we're going to respond. They did such a good job of that in the L.A. Dodgers series, and they did that in game one of this series. They give up a run, okay, Brandon Nimmo, RBI single. And they do it consistently. Like, they did that every time they gave up runs to San Diego in this game, the Mets responded. They end up scoring 11 runs, Eduardo Escobar has this incredible breakout game that I think we've all been waiting for. I have been patient with Eduardo Escobar. Some Mets fans have, some haven't. I just expect that, not necessarily that he's going to put up the numbers he put up last year, but that he's overall going to be fine. Like, sometimes you do have to give a guy a little bit of time. And so Eduardo Escobar, at least in the opener of this series, gave you that. He gave you that big-time performance that you hope will lead to Escobar getting hot, and finishing this season strong, and at least putting up numbers that come somewhat close to the year he had last year when he drove in 90 runs and hit 28 home runs. So game one was great. I mean, everything was great. Starling Marte gets a couple of hits. Brandon Nimmo, who was slumping, gets on base three times. The Padres are making defensive miscues. The Mets are having these long at-bats in which they're completely battling. I mean, look what they did to Blake Snell in the first inning. And I think I mentioned it in the first podcast we did, and I've also mentioned this on the air with Craig, that this lineup sometimes reminds me of the Royals in 2015. They don't give you an easy at-bat. They fight. They claw. They're not easy to strike out. You go back to that first inning, and really it was the high-water mark of this entire series because who knew this series would turn into the crap fest that it turned into. But that first inning against Blake Snell, that's what the Mets are about this year. Long at-bats, taking close pitches, drawing walks, and forcing a starting pitcher to have to basically unload in the first inning. Blake Snell threw 43 pitches in the first inning. J.D. Davis is giving you a nine-pitch at-bat to draw bases loaded walk. Those are the kinds of at-bats that when you see the Mets have, you say, hey, that can be the calling card of this offense. Despite not having that punch, especially when Pete Alonso's not in the lineup, That's what you could expect from this team. But Carlos Carrasco was great. I was curious why Buck Showalter was using Drew Smith in sort of a blowout, but I don't know. Maybe Drew Smith he looks at as a guy that he needs to get his confidence back because he got off to that great start and has been sort of mediocre since then. But bottom line is the Met offense was great. Carlos Carrasco was fantastic. And on the heels of the greatest split in the history of the New York Mets, you take the opener against the Padres. And then game two. You know, I, when I said to Hoff, I said, let's make a list of best wins and best losses, uh, worst losses. There weren't a lot of 
awful losses on the list because the Mets haven't had a lot of really bad losses. You know, those those Edwin Diaz kick yourself in the balls kinds of games that we've had a lot of. Tuesday night against the Padres, despite losing a game 7-0, okay, it happens. I mean, it's a 162-game season. You know what happens. Despite the fact that you could kind of look at that game and say, ah, you know what, you Darvish, he pitched well. Mets have just won three in a row. It's okay to lose that game. That's a game that in the moment I'm putting on the list because of the injury to Marte, because of the injury to Alonzo, and because as we're all watching this game, I'm not even thinking about the fact that you Darvish threw seven scoreless innings. I'm thinking about the fact that, oh my God, two key guys may be hurt. So I'm not saying that game's going to be on any list because if Marte's back soon like we talked about and Pete's back soon like we talked about, we may sort of forget that game and say, oh yeah, they lost to the Padres, whatever, and not think about the ramifications of it because it may not turn out to be serious. But Hoff, when you're watching that game the way I'm watching that game, are you not thinking, oh my God, <laughs> these guys may be out for two months? I, I that, this whole season I've been pretty optimistic about everything. This is the first time I, I I was I was scared from like, okay, we could be in some serious trouble here just because the way Alonzo and Marte have carried the offense lately. Uh, I was I couldn't focus on anything, anything else but that. That was a problem. Like I I completely agree. That game became kind of a fog. I mean. Look, down 4 nothing. I think this team has shown us an ability to come back. But by the third inning, because remember, all these injuries happened right out of the gate. Starling Marte has that caught stealing in the first inning of the game. They talk to him a little bit. Hey, how you feeling? Starling says, okay, I'll go out. I'll try to play right field. One inning later, he's out of the game. Pete gets drilled in the second inning on that weird check swing play, and he's out of the game. So third inning of this game, it's not that it's 4 nothing and, oh, my God, they can't hit you, Darvish. It's what the hell's happening to these guys? And you knew watching the game there wasn't going to be an update that told us anything. So even though Steve Gelb said, oh, look, the X-rays are clean, to me that didn't even mean anything. So the whole game sort of became a fog of just get me to the real MRI so I know what the F is going on with Marte and Alonzo. That was it. That was the whole freaking game. Now... Let's address what I what I know is the the red meat issue of the Alonzo stuff. And I think it's the easy sports talk radio topic. We've all done it, which is Alonzo got drilled. The Mets have been hit 40 times this season. As I always say with the Clint Capella line from last year's playoffs, what you're going to do about it? And I got to tell you, it's easy to say go drill somebody. And I think that's the majority of Met fans or talk show hosts, like, yeah, go drill Manny Machado. As I'm watching the game last night, I'm not thinking that because I don't think it does anything. Like, would it make us all smile and say, yeah, we hit somebody? Sure. I guess there's that short-term high you get off of drilling Manny Machado. But I didn't watch the rest of Tuesday night's game with this bloodthirsty thought of, oh, my God, they have to hit somebody. Because I also just don't think, not that I'm some kind of pacifist, I'm not. What the hell is that going to do? Like, do you want the Mets to drill Manny Machado? Obviously, the series is over now, but did you want the Mets to drill somebody because three guys got hit in five at-bats and one guy may have, at the time at least, we thought broke his hand? No, not even close. I didn't want any of that. 
doesn't make any sense because all it's going to lead to is suspensions and possible more injuries. I don't need that. Yeah. I, look, I think sometimes hitting somebody is okay. It's baseball. It's a part of the game. I, I just think that this common theme that the Mets have had of being drilled isn't going to be solved because the Mets decide to retaliate against one of the eight teams that have hit Met players. My, my thought has always been this. Charge them out. And look, to your point, that could lead to injuries. That would certainly lead to a suspension. But I think that's more effective than going to another player who has nothing to do with it and hitting him. Like, okay, you did this. We'll do that. Sometimes it's as simple as, you hit me, you son of a bitch. I'm going to go out and try to kick your ass. Now, I don't know if Pete was in any position to do that, considering he was in massive pain after he got hit in the hand. But this goes back to a month ago. I would rather see you charge the mound and I'm not saying either one's the answer, but I'd rather see you charge the mound than just drilling Luke Voigt or drilling Eric Hosmer. Do you think Buck is talking to them and saying, let's try to keep our cool? Or do you think this is like a, just that they haven't had that opportune moment to, all right, screw it, I'm just, I'm just charging. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I, I don't know if anybody wants to. Like, I don't know if the players think the way we think or I just don't know if a player has any intention of charging. I don't think Buck Showalter's even had to have that conversation because I don't even think they're thinking about stuff like that. And, like, we had Buck on a few weeks ago and asked him about, hey, you know, your guys get hit. What about retaliating? And I know he's never going to be honest and say, yes, we wanna, we're just going to start drilling guys. <laughs> but his point is kind of what I said, which is what does that do? Like, well, what is – what does that accomplish? And it, it really doesn't accomplish anything other than making us as fans, I guess, somewhat happy. Like, yeah, we drilled Manny Machado. Like, I just don't think it accomplishes anything. And unfortunately, what's happened to the Mets this season in terms of how many guys have been hit, I hate to give this answer because I know it's frustrating, but I just think it's a coincidence. Like, or, hey, the way to get Pete Alonso out is to bust him inside. Because he's a really good hitter who's having an MVP-type season. And sometimes you do need to pitch inside. And accidentally, you miss by a quarter of an inch, you hit a guy in the head. You miss by a little bit, you hit a guy in the hand. So 
I don't think there's anything malicious going on other than it's just been coincidental because I was looking at the numbers. Coming into the finale of this series, and I don't think it changed because I don't think any Met got hit in this game. The Mets have been hit 40 times. We all know that number. Do you know, if you had to guess, Hoff, the team who's been hit the second most times in the National League? Uh, you had to guess. I'm trying to, I think, I, was it the Dodgers? I have no well, forget the team. How many times? The I, Mets have been, hit, been I, hit 40 times. What do you think number two is? I, I think it's in the 30s. I think it's like low 30s. You ready for this? Give it to me. And and this is why, like, I really do think it's a coincidence, but this is, number two is 28. That's 12. 28. That's 12. That's 12 different hits. Yeah. It's significant. No, no, no. I, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> the league average is 23. Uh, the San Francisco Giants have been hit 28 times. The Mets have been hit 40 times. And I, I get it. I mean, I understand. Now, the Mets have also had the most plate appearances of any team in the National League, so I, I, that does not equal the 12 difference between the Giants and the Mets. I just I want to get perspective when I give a number like this, not just throw it out there and, and let it marinate. Hey, the Mets, But I do still think it's a coincidence, Pete. I don't think people are attempting to hit the New York Mets. The Mets have hit 25 guys themselves, so it's not like they're not hitting people too. Yeah, but 25 is a lot lower <laughs> than 40. <laughs> I'm trying to justify it. Hey, but but here's the thing too, like you gotta remember in the beginning, wasn't Chris Bassett talking about the ball, like the fact that the ball is not sticky enough or whatnot. So there is that mindset of it's not purposeful. The MLB's gotta step in to try to help him. Yeah, but you know what? Here's the problem with that whole thing. Yeah, the ball issue and there needs to be universal sticky stuff, that still doesn't explain how the Mets have been hit forty times and the team that's number two has been hit twenty-eight times. And look, I don't have the data that every team uses, the scouting reports that every team uses on how they attack Lindor, how they attack Alonzo, how they attack all their hitters. But maybe there is a common theme of you got to bust guys inside because you do have to pitch inside. That's a part of baseball. I mean, that's the way it is. In fact, I'll give you an example, and I, and I totally forgot to mention this, uh, the first Rico Bronya podcast we did about Edwin Diaz. And I, I'm going to check my scorebook to see if I uh, have this correct. When he, I think it was the game he pitched in the eighth inning on Sunday, because my scorebook's not going to confirm what I'm about to say. Do you remember, and you know what, I'm confident, it definitely was the Sunday game when he pitched the eighth inning and he faced Betts, Freeman, and Turner, and he pitched a one, two, three inning, okay? Every ball he threw was up and it was in. And it wasn't as if it was Edwin Diaz lacking command. Like, Edwin Diaz threw that nasty slider. He was in command. But it felt like Edwin Diaz was, in a purposeful way, making batters feel uncomfortable. Because when you can throw 99 miles an hour, and you can come up and in, and you can do it once or twice in a given at-bat, you could scare the crap out of anybody. Or at least you could plant that seed in anyone's head. I'll never forget, as much as I don't like Roger Clemens, the most brilliant Clemens performance I ever saw was against the Mariners in 2000, in 2000, game four, game five of the ALCS. I forget which one. And he struck out like 13 or 14 guys. And early in the game, he came up and in on A-Rod. Like, and it was done on purpose. Like, this is Roger Clemens. And I remember thinking to myself, this guy, as much as I effing hate him, he's awesome. Like, I know what he did. That's what you have to do. 
And I remember, if you go back, any diehard Met fan, any geek Met fan out there like ourselves, go rewatch Edwin Diaz in the eighth inning against the Dodgers on Sunday. I'm telling you, dude came up and in like three different times and then pitched a one, two, three inning. So my point is, and it's not like a defense of the Mets getting hit. I'm just trying to be fair and rational about this. I'm not just going to be screaming and yelling, saying, we got to hit everybody. Everybody's targeting the Mets. Like if I did that, I'd be a bitch New York Ranger fan who thinks every official's out to get them. There's a screw the Ranger button. Everybody hates us. There's a conspiracy against us. I'm not going to play that game. And to anyone who's a Ranger fan out there, I'm sorry. Deal with it. I made a joke about your team. Let's all remember we're Met fans. We all love each other. But instead of just claiming there's a conspiracy, I'm trying to be fair about this. So is that a part of it? That, hey, to get Pete Alonzo out, you got to come up and in. You got to bust him inside. And when you pitch up and inside and you miss by a little bit, it can get violent. Now, with that said, if I'm the New York Mets, what do I do about it? I've said this before. Next time someone hits me, I charge the mound. That's it. I'm not saying it's going to solve everything, Hoff, but I'll tell you that I think it's better than just randomly drilling the best player on the other team. That's where I'm at with it. No, and I agree with that. And also, the other thing I don't like, I forgot who it was very early in the season. There was an at-bat, I think it was in the Chicago Cubs series, maybe Cardinal series, where they try to set up the player to kind of get comfortable at the plate and then drill him on with the second or third pitch. I don't think that's the way. I guess if you're going to be, you know, diplomatic, I guess this would be, you know, go brawl. But I also, <laughs> but I, I, I don't want the brawl either. And I think that, to be honest with you, Buck doesn't want it. He dealt with Manny Machado for how many years of him being suspended every year for some sort of incident? I don't think he wants it. I really don't. I think no, I don't think they want it either. I agree. Look, I, I and, and if I had to make a prediction, I don't think the Mets are going to be involved in any brawls this season. They're uh, a pacifist team. Dude, they're, not, if, they're not looking for a fight. If it wasn't for Arenado, they wouldn't be in a brawl at all, I don't think, right? I know. And and what was that even about? It was up and in. It was up and in. Oh, no, yeah, come on, dude. <laughs> no, no, I know. I, I think it's just the, the whole thing has become frustrating, and, and hopefully these numbers start to even out. I mean, to be hit 40 times, you know, 59 games into the season when the the team who's been hit the most after you in the National League is only 28th is a little bit alarming. Either way, game sucked. We get some positive news about Pete Alonso, Starling Marte, and then we have the finale of this series where my biggest takeaway, besides the fact that the offense did very little in the final two games of this series, sort of similar to the first two games of the Dodgers series, where the offense has now become the strength of this team. So when they get completely shut down and get two hit by you Darvish and in the finale only get five hits against Sean Manaya, who is in complete control, and a few of those hits were garbage time hits in the ninth inning, yeah, their offense is a big part of why they lost the last two games, no doubt about it, just like the first two games against L.A. But I'm a little concerned about Chris Bassett. I think we've got to be honest about what's going on here. You know, Chris Bassett got off to a tremendous start with this team uh his first start that he makes in Washington the second game of the season whenever it was second game of the season was great six scoreless innings we love Chris Bassett then he goes out and makes that opening day start and again is brilliant and we all fall in love with the comment about yeah I'm gonna go after Juan Soto they use it as a commercial on SNY everybody loves what he said about I don't care what the name is on the back of the jersey we're gonna grind you we're gonna beat you all great Oh, fantastic. We all love Chris Bassett. He throws six scoreless innings against the Cardinals. Fantastic. Pitches really well against the Atlanta Braves. Everything's going great. 
pitches well against the Phillies, pitches well against the Mariners. And really the line of demarcation, if you're looking for one, over these last five starts, and it's weird that this would be the case, and maybe it's not, maybe it's a coincidence. I'm just going to tell you the things that happened right as Chris Bassett started to struggle. Number one is Max Scherzer got hurt. Because remember, Max gets hurt. Bassett makes the start the following day against the Cardinals. And I thought overall, like, we were happy with his performance because he pitched into the seventh inning. And that was, of course, the game that Eduardo Escobar blew with the defensive miscue in the ninth inning. And then Pete Alonso hit the dramatic home run. It was a great win. It was a fantastic win. And I think we all looked at Bassett six and a third, four runs, and said, ah, no, it's good. He pitched into the seventh inning, gave this team innings after Max got hurt. Great. At that point, he still has a sub-3 ERA. Everything's fantastic. Then he goes to San Francisco, and it's sort of forgotten about. He got destroyed in the game against the Giants. He gave up eight runs in four and a third innings. He gave up three home runs. And the reason we forgot about it is that was the game that they came back from 8-2 to two down, blew an 11-8 lead, blew a 12-11 lead. And you think about that, more so than you think of the fact that Chris Bassett literally gave up eight runs in four and a third innings. Then he bounces back with the game against the Phillies. Great. Oh, fantastic. Bounce back. Then he's got the mediocre performance against the Dodgers, which you sort of forgot about because, again, the offense did nothing. That was game two of the Dodgers series. And then you have this game, the finale against the Padres, where the guys get knocked out in the fourth inning, giving up seven runs. Like, this is now a five-start sample size where Chris Bassett has been bad. Now, the other thing that coincides in it, and I'm not accusing him of anything. Again, I just want to give everybody the facts and some background on it, is he got his contract. He got his $9 million deal, which he was going to get, obviously, arbitration, and that process is delayed because of the lockout. But then they tacked on that mutual option for like $17 million. And I want to make something clear. I don't think it's related at all. I'm just pointing out because I'm searching too what the hell's wrong with Chris Bassett Gary Cohn thinks it's a quote pitching slump maybe it is I don't know here's what I do know he's been crappy for five starts mostly five starts in a row and when you're without Max Scherzer and you're without Jacob deGrom you kind of needed guys to step up for the most part Carlos Carrasco has stepped up Taiwan Walker's been good at times. He was mediocre in his last start, but has mostly been good. Trevor Williams has been very good, even though he's about to be bounced from this rotation. And it's funny, the starting pitching hasn't really been great since Max Scherzer got hurt. So it's not as if, oh, those guys have stepped up. What's really happened is that they're scoring runs, that they're able to pound out 11 runs at a given moment. But I look at Chris Bassett right now, I'm not putting him on the injured list with a fake injury. I'm not suggesting that like he's wilting under the pressure in New York because Max got hurt. I'm just kind of shrugging my shoulders saying, I don't know what the hell's going on. All I know is he's not pitching well. I'm telling you, I mean, that's it. Can I tell you what I think it is? I'm going to, I have a Go. positive because I like to be positive in this podcast. I know you get a little negative at times. And I'm just telling it like it is. I'm not being negative. Okay. I'm telling you, he sucked in five straight and, starts. And, what am I wrong and, about? and he has, and he has, but the positive is, most of those starts have come against West Coast teams, Dodgers, Giants. He's pitched terribly against the Giants this season. Two games, he got lit yes. up both times. Dodgers and San Diego. They don't see him again for for what, the rest of the season? No, well, I guess when they make a, a come back to New York. But that's it. 
It's the West Coast teams. That's his issue. That's his issue. He solved it. That's a, that's a nice pot. That's a nice positive to look at. Hey, he pitched the one good start was against the Phillies, division rival. Let's go well against the Braves. Let's go. Come on. All right. So, so when he makes his next start, which is scheduled to be against a really good team, the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, they're not a West Coast team, but they're not an East Coast team. In with your logic, what does that mean? Does that mean he bounces back, or does that mean? Well, he's average because it's not west, it's not east, it's in the middle. I would say more average than anything else, and that's fine. That's all I'm looking for because if the offense is fine, then we're we're okay. Just give me look, five that, innings. That that's been the case. I mean, really, over this run since Max got hurt, and I remember when Max got hurt, I sit on the air. All star breaks my line of demarcation because that's when I figure they'll be back. If it happens sooner, great. If it doesn't, you figure it's the all star game. There's 54 games between now, at the time now, and the All-Star game. And I just wanted the Mets to play 500 ball. That was my, just survive while your two best pitchers are out. Obviously, they've played really well since then, so maybe the expectations change. Right now, since the Max injury, they have played 20 games. And they are 12-8. and eight. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So it's a little bit above 500. Uh, obviously, the 12 and 8's gotten worse over the last two games. They were 12 and 6 till the final two games against the Sandy, against the Padres. But it's really surviving while these guys are out. Tyler McGill coming back is a big help for two reasons. Number one, Tyler McGill was showing a lot of promise before he got hurt, obviously. But here's the second thing that I think is underrated in this they're going to move Trevor Williams to the bullpen. And Trevor Williams is a really good long man to have. So on a night like tonight where Chris Bassett's knocked out in the fourth inning, you know, Trevor Williams, kind of like the way Pat Mahomes used to do it back in the day or Darren Oliver used to do it back in the day, could actually come in, especially in a DH league now, give you three scoreless innings and keep you in the game, especially with an offense that shows an ability to come back. Because what really hurt them today, not that they were going to come back from 7 nothing down, but Nagosa comes in and sort of lights it on fire. I mean, right out of the gate, he gives up the RBI double to Manny Machado, and then he runs into trouble in the fifth inning, gives up the bomb to Cronenworth. So, I, again, not that they were going to come back from 7 nothing down, but if you're ever going to make that kind of comeback, when you look at some of the comebacks the Mets have made this year, that's how they've done it. They've done it because their bullpen, it's the underrated aspect of it, their bullpen keeps it close. So it's not just... I'm excited Tyler McGill's coming back because, hey, he's Tyler McGill. He was showing a lot of promise before his last couple of starts. It's also improving your bullpen because you're able to take Trevor Williams and kind of push him back into that pen. So McGill coming back on either Friday or Saturday is a good thing. Now, right out of the gate, 
you know that Trevor Williams is a tag team with Tyler McGill because they still have to stretch McGill out. So he's only going to throw 70, 75 pitches, which means Trevor Williams, at least in that first start, is just going to come in for Tyler McGill. So you're going to use essentially those two guys to hopefully give you, dare I say, seven innings. I mean, that's not unreasonable. You get four from McGill, you get three from Tyler, uh, Trevor Williams, boom, there you go. So it's not going to happen in the first start back because it's going to take some time to stretch out McGill. But getting their pitching depth back with McGill returning, that's a tremendous thing. And that will certainly help as they go into this series against the Angels. Now, speaking of the Angels, <laughs> speaking of the freaking Angels, I'm watching them the last two days against the Boston Red Sox. They have lost one nothing games, I think, back-to-back. They have now lost 14 in a row. Beningo used to say this all the time in the NFL. I don't want to play the Patriots after a loss, bro. I don't want to play the Dolphins after a loss. Like all these teams, you don't want to play after a loss. Now, while we all know the Angels are phonies and they're not that good, they've lost 14 in a row. They play Thursday night against the Red Sox. Otani's actually pitching. Let's go Angels. I can't have the Mets going into that series with the Angels on a 15-game freaking losing streak. That's a disaster waiting to happen, Hoff. They got to win. No, this is not looking too good. I, I'm not looking. Do you see what the Angels are doing, by the way, to try to either get them out of the slump or something? I don't know. But they all walked up to a Nickelback song today. I that, saw. Because they're trying, yeah, to just, they're just trying to figure out a way to win. I'm not sure if that's going to help, but whatever, dude. Yeah, I cannot go... 15 games, losing streak, Mets, that's not that's set up for failure right there. Well, I'll let you know how it went. And, and it's, a, it's a great attempt. Hey, let's try to get out of this slump by, you know, hitting Juan Lagares fifth in center field and having Joe Adele, who's a bust bat second. Like, eh, let's try that. Let's also try to play Nickelback. They got shut out again by the Red Sox, okay? Five guys, half of which no one's heard of, shut them out. So it didn't work. I mean, the only elixir that may help the Angels, unfortunately, is us. <laughs> Not, and look, that is a negative comment, so I'm going to take that back. Not that we're going to get the Angels going. I still have confidence in this team, and I do think they're going to bounce back. I just mean in general, I don't like facing a team on a 15-game losing streak because the odds of them losing 18 in a row, which would be the ultimate goal, seem to be very, very slim. So... It would behoove us as Met fans on Thursday night. Obviously, there's a Ranger game to watch. The Yankees are playing. I get all that. To check in on the Angels and Red Sox late night. And hopefully, Shohei Otani delivers a great performance and the Angels win. Because I'd like for them to have a win before we go into that three-game series. That'd be nice. How did the Angels get that bad? Weren't they on fire to set the start of the season? Like, what turn yeah. they've been so awful i mean madden's gone now who who is even replacing him who, who's the interim manager at the moment phil nevin oh phil nevin she <laughs> yes. how did that happen is he a terrible third base coach and now he's the head coach well here's the thing <laughs> I, I think it's funny when managers are fired and we've experienced this as met fans i'll never forget i was in favor of firing willie randolph uh which i guess time looks back on it and says oh that was a mistake but what people forget is everybody at the time wanted Willie Randolph fired because the Mets had collapsed in 2007 and they were stuck in mediocrity in 2008. So being on the fan at the time, and I was back in 2008, 90% of Mets fans wanted to fire Willie Randolph. And the reason I wanted to fire Willie Randolph had 
less to do with Willie and more to do with sometimes firing a manager sparks a team. The Houston Astros fired Larry Durker and replaced him with Phil Garner and went on an incredible run and won the National League pennant. For anybody who's too young, yes, they used to be in the National League. Uh, The Marlins, that's another great example. Jeff Torber got fired. They replaced him with trader Jack McKeon. They went on a great run. And, And I'll argue this to this day with the Mets. When they fired him and replaced him with Jerry Manuel, they went on a run. Like, look at the Mets record after they replaced Willie with Jerry Manuel. Now, it didn't work out all the way because obviously the Mets missed the playoffs at the end of the 2008 season. So you could argue, well... It worked to an extent. It didn't work as much as you had hoped. But sometimes, right or wrong, fair or not, firing a manager can spark a team. It's happening with the Philadelphia Phillies, and that's very relevant to us right now because all of a sudden the National League East, which still features the Mets having a nice lead, it's getting a little bit closer. It's down a single digits for Philadelphia. They're two games under 500. And I think it's obvious that firing Joe Girardi, as much as I respect Joe as a manager, has sparked this team. You know, it's like Bryson Stott hated Joe Girardi because all of a sudden nobody can get Bryson Stott out. But with the Angels, to your point, Hoff, it's not working. (laughs) You know, Phil Nevin becoming the manager is not sparking this team. But I think what also hurts the Angels, and I can't pinpoint like the entirety of their 14-game losing streak, but here's what I could tell you. I'm looking at their lineup from the game on Wednesday night. You got Shohei Otani leading off. Great. Okay. He's not having the greatest offensive year ever, but you're leading him off. You got Joe Adele batting second. He stinks. You got Matt Duffy as your cleanup hitter. You got Juan Lagares batting fifth. It's just a really bad lineup. Mike Trout is hurt now, which is a major blow. Anthony Rendon is hurt. Plus, he hasn't been the same guy since he left the National League East. Can you believe that? They're just not, they're not good. And I'm not trying to jinx what's going to happen this weekend because obviously anything could happen this weekend. The Angels could sweep the Mets. The Mets could sweep the Angels. It's freaking baseball. But just being honest about it, they're just not good right now. And their 27-17 and start really feels like an anomaly. It felt like they just completely overachieved. But look, here's what the Mets have to do this weekend against the Angels. To me, it's very simple. We all went into this road trip saying survive it that's what we all said just survive it go five and five that's all you got to do tread some water you're facing the Dodgers you're facing the Padres we didn't realize the Angels would have a losing streak as epic as this at the time but okay you're still in California end of a long trip facing an Angels team that has some talent go get a split and so here's where we are if you win two out of three if the Mets can win two out of three against the Angels it's a five and five road trip simple as that If they only win a game and lose two out of three, it's a four and six road trip. Not great, but not a disaster. If they somehow got swept by the Angels and now it's a five-game losing streak to end this road trip, yes, I think we'll all look at this road trip as a disaster, especially the highs that we had off of the split against the Dodgers and winning the opener against the Padres. But go win a series against a bad team in Anaheim. Go do that. You're not facing Shohei Otani, at least pitching Shohei Otani. You may not face Mike Trout. I don't know at this point. I haven't heard an update on how much time he's going to miss. I know he wasn't in the lineup on Wednesday night. 
and just go out and win a couple of games and get home after a five and five trip. And I think if you do that, we look at this California trip and say, okay, it had its moments and it was overall a success. And that's it. Go to Anaheim and win two out of three. You do that. This was a good road trip. Is there anything that they could do offensively right now? Is there a Dom Smith call-up that would help spark this offense a little bit? Because that's the one thing that's hurt even more than anything. The past two games, they've really been so flat. They seem dead. Maybe they get some sort of lift somewhere. You know what the problem is with Dom? And I like Dom, so it's not a problem with Dom more than it is a problem with the situation they're in. If Pete Alonso's only missing two days, can you really call up Dom for two days to then send him back? Like, they called up Khalil Lee to give them another human, another body, because if they didn't call up Khalil Lee, Khalil, Lee, Khalil Lee and send down Medina, who didn't deserve to be sent down, but they needed another bat, they would have had no bench. And you obviously need some bench. I mean, even in a DH league now, you need some semblance of a bench. I don't think they would do that to Dom because in a weird way, it's sort of disrespectful that here's a guy who probably took his demotion hard, all right? Probably did. He probably didn't even see it coming. Now you're going to fly him out to California to get three at-bats and go right back to Syracuse. So unless Alonzo or Marte goes on the injured list, because I can make an argument how Marte going on the I.L., I'd still call Dom back because even though they haven't played him in the outfield, I'd be open to playing him in the outfield. I want to get this guy some at-bats, but mostly probably at DH or first base with Pete DHing. If one of them goes on the IL, I think Dom's the kind of guy, Mark Vientos, who's another young prospect, would have been the other guy uh, who's got some pop, but Vientos is on the injured list down in the minor league. So I think Dom would be the first guy you'd call up and you'd give him a shot because I think the only time you call up Dom is when he has a chance to stay. I don't think you call up Dom for a day or two. I think when you call him up, he's back. But as far as who gets at-bats with Marte out or potentially Alonzo out, obviously J.D. Davis is getting a full opportunity right now. Uh, Luis Guillerme gets even more playing time because you could play Jeff McNeil in the outfield. And you even saw it today with Nick Plummer. So those are the guys that are going to get more at-bats. And... Now, there's really nothing you could do to spark the team other than hope those guys perform, hope that Francisco Lindor steps up as the quote-unquote best player of the team, and you make up for these guys being out. But I don't know, if you're not putting them on the IL, it would make you think that they're back sometime this weekend. I think the day off came at the best time possible to have this Thursday off day. First of all, the Mets have played a ton of games. They've played more games than anybody else consistently throughout this season. So A and off day is good just in general but be giving an extra day for Pete Alonso to heal and for Starling Marte to heal to go into this series against the Angels. And then it doesn't get easy because even when they're done with the Angels, the Brewers are going to be a tough series at home. So, look, we'll see. Bottom line is the last two games have sucked, and you got a chance to salvage this road trip by just going to Anaheim and winning two out of three. You confident in that, by the way, Pete? No, I'm not. I, I usually am, but this is just – this seems very flat right now. It seems – this is this may be, and I'm if this is the worst stretch the Mets have all season long, I'll take it. It kind of has that feeling right now. It feels like this is as bad as it's gonna get. And well, I you know what's like- funny? If it's if first of all, you're right. If this is as bad as it gets, let's celebrate. But what the Mets have done, and it's sort of been incredible this season, is that they have avoided the long losing streak. I mean, obviously they went so long without the two game losing streak 
until it finally happened. And now we've seen them, you know, more routinely lose a couple of games in a row. But they have avoided that extended losing streak. So obviously, Friday night's important because you go out, you win Friday night, you do the same thing you've been doing all year where you avoid an extended losing streak. Losing back-to-back games is not really a losing streak. So that's why it feels as if this is such a bad stretch because they haven't had a lot of stretches in which they've lost a ton of games. I actually oddly have some confidence that they're going to go to Anaheim and at least win two out of three. I don't think they're going to sweep them. I think sweeping is very difficult. Even when the Mets are playing their best baseball, they very rarely swept teams until recently. Uh, But I actually think they will bounce back and they will play well this weekend. I don't think that all of a sudden they're going to go to Anaheim and lose three straight. I don't want to eat those words. Hopefully I don't. And I just want to prove to you and some people listening that sometimes I can be optimistic. See, I'm optimistic. Hey, there you go. Yeah. Listen, if Michael Walker can shut him out, then uh, I guess uh, anybody on the Mets can shut him out, right? Is that, is that how we – I mean, seriously. <laughs> hey, it's a good way to look at it. And Buck has confirmed Tyler McGill is going to start the Friday night game. So Tyler McGill, probably along with Trevor Williams on Friday, David Peterson, Carlos Carrasco over the weekend. One other thing real quick. And I'm not going to spend too much time on it. I just want to throw it out there to remind Met fans that we live in a different world. I read two days ago, courtesy of Jeff Passan, courtesy of Jim Bowden, who's not even a real, real reporter, but numerous baseball analysts connect the Mets with Wilson Contreras of the Chicago Cubs as a trade target. And I'm not telling you the Mets should trade top prospects for Wilson Contreras. I just want to remind you that we live in a world in which the New York Mets are going to be connected to every significant available player come trade deadline. We'll have more podcasts. We'll spend more time on who they should go after, who they should be willing to go after, but because we're not there yet. It's still only the middle of June. So it's not about Contreras. It's the idea that the Mets are going to be connected to any significant player that soon becomes available. So Mets fans, even on a night, and a day in which they're coming off losing back-to-back games, let's not forget who the hell we are. And you know who we are? We're the team that's owned by Steve Cohen. And despite how hot the Atlanta Braves are, and you knew this was happening, this is like when you're, if you're an NBA fan out there, you're up by 20 on a great team. You know they're going to make a run. You still may win, you may hold them off, but that great team is going to make a run. The Atlanta Braves are the reigning world champions. They are the reigning divisional champions. They were going to make a run. But despite winning seven in a row, and I give major props for that, and despite getting above 500, Mets still have a seven-game lead, six in the loss column. It's a lot smaller than it was, you know, five days ago, but still a nice lead. You go win some games in Anaheim, Braves get tripped up, get this lead back up to eight or nine games. Either way, our next edition of Rico Bronia will be right after the finale against the Angels, that's a Sunday night game. So it won't be until late Sunday night, and we'll obviously get into what happened against the Angels and look ahead to their finally coming home and their homestand against the Milwaukee Brewers and the Miami Marlins. You could check out our man Pete Hoffman. He produces Tiki and Tierney, 10-2 on the fan, and obviously me and Craig Monday through Friday on the fan. Thank you for listening to another edition of Rico Bronia. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>